Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. So we're continuing our series in the Fruit of the Spirit, and you can guess what I'm talking about today. Joy, right? You ever heard the song, wipe off that smile, frown and cheer up, put on a happy face? And I know you guys do it because if you're in a bad mood or arguing with somebody and you answer the phone, right? Uh, If you still answer the phone, right? Um, You put on a nicer attitude, don't you, right? You you do that. Uh, There was a gal years ago who I knew when I worked at Otterbein College and she had a nickname, Bubbles, and she was always so bubbly and always so happy. Um, but I found out later, after kind of her life went in a kind of really difficult direction, that she had sexual abuse in her life. And sometimes when people are abused, especially for extended periods, they, they learn how to like separate themselves. And they put like... They, they have this box of emotions that feels horrible. But then they live out of this other self that's like smiley and acting and putting on this, this, this thing here. And as you get older, it, it's, it's hard to learn to feel your feelings and to, and to come back together because of that really deep trauma. And, and when the Bible talks about joy, I don't think it's talking about kind of this happy face that we can put on, although if I call you and you're in an argument, put it on, but I don't, I don't think that that's what the Bible's talking about when it says joy. So today I want to talk about the importance of joy, the source of joy or how joy works, and joyful in hope. So the importance of joy, the source of joy, or how joy works, and joyful in hope. Let's say I came to you or somebody came to you one day and said, tell me about the kingdom of God. What would you say to them? Like, what is the kingdom of God? Like, tell me about the kingdom of God. You don't have to say anything, but, but truly, how would you answer it? You know, the apostle Paul, when he was talking, he said... The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Would you include joy in your list of descriptions of the kingdom of God? You'd you'd have that. Would you go, you know what? Let me tell you about the kingdom of God. Joy. I don't know that I would have. I might have been like, well, there's going to be this square building and it'll come out of heaven. You You know what I mean? Like I... I might, I might have gotten way too detailed and way out of reality. And, and at the same time, uh, Paul, when he is saying, you know, to live as Christ, to die is gain, but if I stay here on earth, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for the furtherance and joy of faith. Isn't that interesting? So Paul somehow is saying, I am going to be with you And one way that I'm going to know that you're growing is I'm going to see an increase of joy. So you people who have been Christians a long time, you should be more joyful than the new Christians. What's wrong with you? (laughs) I said to Jim, you're older than me. You should have more joy than I, you know, like, you know, 
yeah, I mean, is this interesting? And then um, if someone were to accuse you of being a Christian, would there be enough joy evidence to convict you? Yeah, I, this is, it's, it's convicting to me. And then in Deuteronomy, look at this. These curses will be a sign and a wonder upon you and your descendants forever. Why? Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart in your abundance. Isn't that interesting? Why is God cursing them? They did not serve the Lord with joy and gladness. So when you go to work or whatever you do during the day, who do you ultimately work for? God, right? You only have like a couple answers in church. Love, Jesus, God. <laughs> like pick one, right? God, Jesus, right? So tell me this. So when you're at work, you're serving the Lord with gladness, right? Not just if you're helping with the coffee, right? Like there's, this is, is a kind of a fascinating thing. So when you start thinking about the fruit of joy in your life, how, how do you do? How, how is that fruit? Is it evident to all, right? When the Holy Spirit came down on the apostles in the book of Acts, do you remember that? The people thought they were drunk. And he's like, it's only the third hour. And an alcoholic says, that's a good time, right? right? You know, like, it's only, we're not drunk. This is the Spirit. Somehow the joy of God and the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles and all who were gathered in the upper room, and they were filled with this exuberance, this joy, this... Something about God is joyful. Something about Jesus is joyful. Something about the church and Christianity is filled with joy. And can I say, as I started studying this and meditating on it, I got depressed? You want to know why? I don't have a lot of joy. As, as they, like, I think I've been at this a long time. I should be like, just poke me and I bubble up, right? I, I don't... And, it's pretty depressing. And you know why I think it's depressing? It's depressing because when you look at your fruit, you tend to, to go, oh. Have, have, you, you know what I'm talking about. Because um, the, the importance of joy connects with the source of joy because a tree doesn't think about its fruit. It thinks about the sun. It thinks about the nutrients and the coming up. But if I start going, oh, how is my fruit going? There's no life there, right? Who's it all about? Me, right? Me. Yeah, it, it like kills the fruit and it leads to depression. Abide in me, Jesus said, and I in you. A as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. It, when you just look at the externals, you, I mean, sure, you might be proud and go, oh, I'm so joyful all the time, but you won't be, right? You know, but if we stay connected to the Lord, we, uh, we abide in him and the, the fruit happens. C.S. Lewis uh, said this, he said, in introspection, we try to look inside ourselves and see what's going on, but nearly everything that was going on a moment before is stopped by the very act of turning to look at it inside. You ever been in worship? 
oh, my heart feels something. What am I feeling? You start thinking about your feelings. You're like, I'm not feeling it anymore. Yeah, because you're not thinking about God anymore. You're thinking about your feelings, right? Lewis says it's kind of like a wave. The ocean wave comes upon you, and then you look down and go, what am, I, what am I doing? And then the wave goes away, right? And this is the same for me as I started thinking about the fruit of joy. When I'm looking at the fruit, I'm not abiding in Christ. It's like the search for happiness is, the one, is one of the chief sources of unhappiness, Right? I want to be happy. I'm not happy enough. I'll do everything to make me happy. Am I happy now? No, right? Because joy is a byproduct of our relationship with God, right? It's like, you, it's like, it's like um, somebody asks you, how are you doing with your humility? How do you answer that one? Well, I think I'm more humble than I was last year. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, that's a proud statement if I ever heard one. I'm not proud. I'm humble, right? You know, like, it's the same. It's, you can't work on your humility directly. You have to work on it indirectly. And the same thing with happiness. You work on the relationship with God, and the happiness is a byproduct. Dr. Minareth uh, from Happiness is a Choice, this is what it reads. Dr. Minareth and I are convinced that many people do choose happiness, but still do not obtain it. The reason for this is that even though they choose to be happy, they seek for inner peace and joy in the wrong places. They seek happiness in materialism and do not find it. They seek joy in sexual prowess and end up with fleeting pleasures and bitter long-term disappointments. They seek inner fulfillment by obtaining positions of power in corporations, government, or even in their own family by exercising excessive authority Sorry, exercising excessive control. But they remain unfulfilled. I've had a millionaire businessman come into my office and tell me that they have big houses, yachts, condos in Colorado, nice children, a beautiful mistress, an unsuspecting wife, secure corporate position, and suicidal tendencies. They have everything that the world has to offer except one thing, inner peace and joy. And they come to my office as a last resort, begging me to help them conquer the urge to kill themselves. Because they're seeking something that can't be found. Lewis would say, happiness is only found in God. I'm reading three books on the fruit of the Spirit, because I figured I needed some help. And the first one, the fruit of the Spirit. The second, cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. And the third, which is the least best written, neuroscience and the fruit of the Spirit. But, but all these authors have different things that they would say bring joy or the fruit of joy or the aspect of the fruit of joy in your life. And the one would say times of celebration, times of achievement, relationships, God. The other, I really liked uh, his layout. He said, joy ha- ha- is having a feast Joy is having a family. Joy is having faith. And the neuroscience guy says joy comes from friendship. It comes from flow, which is kind of fascinating. They're studying this. That you ever been so involved in something you lose track of time? That's flow, and they study it. Okay, Uh, and laughter and play. So I was thinking, do I agree with them? Yes, but it didn't really do it. So I thought, I wonder what... What brings joy? Have you ever asked yourself the question, what are the things that really bring joy to your life? Ask Tim Keller, you know what he says? Beauty, right? Ask my wife, you know what she says? Beauty. My wife and Tim Keller. 
And so does the Atlantic Monthly. He, uh, there was an article in the Atlantic, and it said, the usual markers of happiness are colloquial... Collo I couldn't say the word last night. Colloquial... Whatever that word that won't come out of my... I think it's the colloquially... I want to have too many Lees in it. Um, normally known as the big seven. Wealth, right? Wealth does actually make you... Have, if you're poor and really struggling to make your bills, a little more money will get you happy. That's what the studies show. But guess what? Once you reach that point, a lot more does not increase your happiness, right? So the things that typically make people uh, happy are wealth, family rela relationships, career, friends, health, freedom, personal values, as outlined in the London School of Economic by Professor Richard Layard in Happiness, Lessons from New Science. According to the Goldberg study, however, what makes people the happiest isn't the big seven. So you got one study that's saying, you know, there's another study that says it isn't those things. He said, instead, happiness is most easily attained by living in an aesthetically beautiful city. And I wanted to go, oh, move out of Cleveland. But you know what? We have a metro park unlike no other. Every time we enter, we win, and then we can't enter for another five years, some national contest. Uh, people have no idea. Uh, one time a lady uh, met me at my house, and she was very bad with directions, and so I said, just uh, follow me, and I'll take you to the, the highway. So I took her through the park. Now, she lived in the country. She lived like an Amish country. We stop at a red light, and I'm telling her to turn. She gets out of her car, hugs me, and goes, that was so beautiful. And I'm like, you live in the country. But the, the metro parks look like you're in a forest, you know? We, we, okay, so according to Goldberg's study, however, what makes people the happiest isn't the big seven. Instead, happiness is most easily attained by living in an aesthetically beautiful city. The things people were constantly surrounded by, lovely architecture, history, green spaces, cobblestone streets, had the greatest effect on their happiness, the cumulative positive effect of daily beauty working subtly and strongly. Isn't that interesting? Tim Keller and Gretchen knew that. And why is this? Well, in a, in a way, Tim Keller writes, Christian joy is like every other kind of joy. You rejoice in that which you find beautiful. What is something you find beautiful? You find beautiful something that doesn't give you something else, but is satisfying in itself for what it is. Isn't that interesting? This is a picture of the Bible and bike. By the way, June 21st through 27th, for anybody who's interested, just stick a little commercial in here. Years ago, I think it was 12 years ago, maybe 13, Gretchen and I rode from Pittsburgh uh, to, come to Washington, D.C. on a path. And I was so like, happy, found so much joy in it. I said to Gretchen when we're done, I'm going to take the church on this. And I started the Bible on bike. Like, there's just something beautiful about riding out in nature. And I mean, it was just this wonderful time. It was, it was beauty, and I wanted to share it. Sometimes I'll ride my bike here, and then I'll ride home in the dark, and one guy says to me, that's like uh, 
that's like foolish or something. I go, foolish, it's therapy. It's awesome to ride home in the dark. I have a light on my bike. Um, but, but beauty, when you taste of beauty, it just, just gives you something in and of itself. I, I did a wedding last weekend, and it was just, it was wonderful. Um, when I'm at a wedding or I do a wedding, I don't know, there's something beautiful about this bride and groom. You know what I'm talking about, right? It says that I experience joy just being there, just seeing it. And, by the way, they had windows with Luther's face on it, and this guy is the founder of the Missouri Synod, C.F. Walther. And I was thinking, when I die, you know... All right. So I couldn't resist. That dude is creepy looking, isn't he? You have like kids go to that church. They're like, I'm not sitting by that window. Mom and dad, all the children on the other side. I'm so sorry. Um, so this week, this week my, my mother-in-law is over for a meal, and she is playing fetch with my dog. And I don't know, but I am just filled with joy. There's something beautiful. My dog is having fun. She's having fun. And I'm just like drinking in the joy. I can do this with my grandkids too. I mean, I can just like drink in the joy. I go to the art museum. I, I have the print of this in my house. Um, and, and I see a painting. This is one of my favorite paintings. It's better when it's blown up because you can see the paint strokes in it. And, and I... I just get joy. There's something beautiful. Like I'm attracted to this beauty and, and it does something to me. C.S. Lewis said, all joys... See, so Gretchen would say and Tim Keller would say, beauty is what brings joy. Lewis takes it a little bit deeper. He goes behind beauty. He says, all joys remind. It is never a possession always a desire for something longer ago or further away or still about to be. So he would say the reason we find joy in this beautiful is because it echoes something, right? And I think the, the Bible and bike and the adventure and nature echo the glory of God and our longing for heaven, right? I, I think the wedding echoes the wedding feast of the Lamb where we, even if you've never been married, you'll go, I have, I have longed for this relationship and it was worth the wait, Right? I mean, there's something beautiful in that, that this is an echo of it. And even the joy that you see in family and friends gathering together, that it's just a foretaste of this wonderful joy that we're going to have and the true fellowship we'll have in heaven. And beauty, I think when we'll get there, we'll say, Lord, if this is beautiful on earth, how much more beautiful is heaven where there's no more sorrow and mourning? Now, many times you'll hear me get up at communion time and say, and he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them. And I want to go over a little bit about the word joy, grace, and thanksgiving. You've heard some churches, they refer to communion as the Eucharist, right? That is the word for thanksgiving. That's the Greek word for thanksgiving. It's made up of two words, you, which means good, and charis, see the word gift and grace? That, it's good gift, and they translate that thanksgiving. 
Joy is part of charis. Do you see that? Joy is kara. Gift or grace is charis, right? And thanksgiving is eucharist or eucharisto. It depends on the ending tense. It, never mind. Um, so you have like, you have uh, um, this, this wonderful gift that Jesus comes to his church and he's saying, I love you. I love you. This is me. This is my body. This is everything I did. Don't forget it. And we say, thank you, Lord, for the gift. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. And we respond with joy. You know, Jesus told this story as he was going to the cross. And he said, whenever a woman is in labor, she's in pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that the child had be, has been born into the world. So I got a question, ladies. Ladies who have had babies. Do you forget? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it said that they forgot, right? Do you forget? Gretchen grabbed my lip, stretched it up over my head. No, I'm kidding. She did not. She did not. Like, do you, be honest, you remember the pain, don't you? Right. But can I tell you what you don't do? You don't take it out on the baby. You don't go, you did this to me. You know, it comes out and you're like, I had nine months of stretching my belly button. You know, no, you know what? I think what happens is it, it's like you remember the pain, but the pain doesn't control you, right? The pain doesn't get you down anymore because you have this beautiful baby, and it's not like you might not still be in pain or you forget the pain, but the pain is not controlling your response to your baby. The suffering is not controlling your response to your baby. And Hebrews says, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. And Jesus went through the, the birth canal of the cross and he does not respond to us and go, oh, I suffered for you. I did all this. He doesn't take it out on us. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. And that is beautiful and that is a, a source of joy in our hearts. Our sins and suffering does not control how he treats us. He even goes farther. Think of a mom and a baby. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and rejoice over you with singing. Our kids had songs. What does that mean? I had a song. I sung to my daughter regularly, nightly. I rejoiced over her with singing. I had a song that I sung to my son, and I rejoiced over him with singing. Like, like can you see that? And I, I know there's a lot of skin in that picture, but look at her face. And if that face is the face of a human, how much God delights in us. He doesn't hold us up like a mom could hold a baby and go, oh. He's like, no, I quiet you with my love. I rejoice over you with singing. There's something just so beautiful about how our Father loves us. And when we get in touch with that, 
There's joy. Jonathan Edwards years ago could say the difference between a religious person and a Christian is not that one is obedient and the other is disobedient. Oh, no. He, he says religious people and, and real Christians both obey God. They're both committed to God. In fact, religious persons might actually look more obedient and committed. The difference is that only the Christian is attracted to God. The religious person finds God useful, but the Christian finds God beautiful. What does this mean? It means that the religious person will obey as long as God answers his prayers. But if God doesn't answer his prayers, he says, what good is it to be a Christian when you see that Jesus went through the birth canal for you and doesn't treat you as your sins deserve, that, that he sings over you and rejoices over you, you return the favor. You find God beautiful. So the importance of joy, the source of joy and how it works, and now joyful in hope. And I want to go back to the pregnant analogy. So... James says something kind of interesting. He says, consider it pure joy. Not just joy, but pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face many kinds of trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. He's saying, troubles come and you know you're pregnant, and the baby's coming, right? And you could think about the baby in the struggles that are really bad and really real, but they're doing something in you. See, Christian joy isn't just like happiness and put on a smiley face, but we in the midst of struggles can find joy. Paul says, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. The world says that can't be. Now, maybe you've seen this, and I actually did this once. Um, I helped a, a butterfly out. This is a cocoon, computer generated, and the guy takes his scissors, and he's like, you know what? I am going to help this butterfly out of its cocoon, and you know what happens? The cocoon actually, in getting the struggle to get out, pushes the fluid into the wings and the wings grow. If you help the butterfly out of its cocoon before the work of struggling to get out, it'll be this deformed bug. And so it is with us. Like we are people who God says, I have stuff that is for you, but it'll only happen through the difficulty. There's this verse in Hebrews, those whom he loves, he scourges. And you may go, but Doug, my suffering is at my own hand. I mean, I brought this upon myself. And I couldn't help but think that I grew up in a church that, that every week we sang the liturgy, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Let's see if I can get it. And renew a right spirit within me, right? Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy holy... Okay, so I, I need a key. That's a, um, so I sang Psalm 51 week in and week out. 
And if you know anything about the Bible, David wrote that after his adultery was, and murder was exposed. And he wrote this in this broken state of repentance, and we sing it in churches regularly. Some week after week. How many people have found comfort in that? And we wouldn't have it if David didn't blow it miserably, right? And so even when you blow it miserably and you're going through the birth canal of struggle, God says, I will still use this for my good. You can hold on to that. I I went over, oh, interesting. There's another slide. Let me see if it's after this one. Yeah. The joy of the Lord is is your strength. You ever heard that before? You know when it was written? So you got, you got Nehemiah, he's rebuilding the wall, and they discover a Bible. And they open it up and start reading the Bible, and the people are like, oh my goodness. We've sinned against God. We've sinned against him in so many ways. And, and the people are broken, and they're crying out, and they feel horrible. And then the Lord says, you know, don't feel horrible. I want you to throw a party because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I think there's two things out of it. If you sinned and confessed your sin, don't let the evil one keep you wallowing in some kind of man-made, demonically enforced prison. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Jesus sings and rejoices over you. And he will use even your failures for his namesake and his kingdom's sake. But always remember, you never have a birth without labor. You never have a resurrection without death. You'll never get this incredible joy if you just come for happiness. If you come to Jesus for comfort, you'll never get it. On the far side of repentance is comfort. On the far side of labor is birth. On the far side of death is resurrection. Therefore, you need repentance in order to have incredible joy. And many of us, what we need to repent from is trying to save ourselves whether we try to save ourselves by pleasure or finding our identity in all these different ways or just save ourselves by being religious. And it's so good right now to take a minute, pray with me and go, Lord, I can't save myself. I need you afresh and anew today. God, I can't even produce that aspect of joy on my own. I can fake it. But I need you in my heart, in my mind, in my life. Jesus, thank you. You don't treat us as our sins deserve. You suffered worse than any, other, any person could ever because you suffered hell for our sake. But you did it because you love us and we were the joy set before you. Jesus, in your name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.